Hi, this is Christian from Finn Records, and you're on NWCZ. Hi, uh, we're the Diving Bell, and my name is Andy Davenhall. And when I'm not uh, wearing women's clothes, I keep it right here at uh, NWCZ Radio. And I'm Christian Fulgham. I am Josh Schusterman. I'm Dan Leary. And this is uh, NWCZ Radio. Coming to you from the Man Cave. Deep in the heart of the Pacific Northwest, you have entered the Northwest Convergence Zone. Welcome to the Northwest Convergence Zone show. That, of course, is Johnny Allen. Hi, Johnny. <laughs> the late, great. The late, great James Marshall Hendricks. His actual first name was Johnny Allen. Uh, I'm Big D. This is Voxy. Hey, this is the Gimmer. And Double D. And, of course, we have Squeeze, Wonder Boy, and the intern all in what we consider the inner sanctum of the Northwest Convergence Zone the show. <laughs> the room of greatness. The room of greatness. <laughs> hey, uh, this day in uh, rock and roll history touches the heart of the Northwest. World history. Absolute world history, yeah. Uh, 1970, Jimi Hendrix died. 27 years old. And that was 41 years ago. It's Wow. It, and we've talked about it on this program every year around this time when it, you know, it comes up because... Um, it's you know his music still resonates and everything, but it's fascinating to think uh, what Hendrix would be doing today, At were he still alive, um, and also what else he would have contributed. Because some you know some artists ha- are super super creative, burn out, you never hear from them again. Some get really big and then kind of plateau, kind of take a backseat and then resurge again. And others die at 27. And others die at 27, yeah. like, like Hendrix. Damn shame. And I'll tell you what, you know, uh, when you're talking about three-piece rock bands, you know, power trios, I would actually, Hendrix is involved in probably two of my top five power trios of all time, and that would be the Jimi Hendrix Experience Yes. and the Band of Gypsies. Absolutely. I mean, even though they put out one, you know, basically live, you know, album, at the Fillmore. Yep. But not good enough for me. Yeah. Thank absolutely. you very much. Hey, uh, what's the general consensus on the way on how Jimi Hendrix died? What, what what do you guys know about that? Well, I don't know. Was what do you al- think? Alcohol asphyxiation? Is that what it was? He did die vomiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, died of his own. He couldn't breathe. They I've seen basically I, choked on his own vomit. I've heard the conspiracy theories and stuff on that too. Yeah. You have? I have. Uh, and what do you know? I don't know anything. <laughs> well, I know that I'm boxy. Damn it, I sing. <laughs> I know that I know that Eric Burden, one of uh, you know Jimmy's actually close friends, uh, to this day is very upset that uh, you know the gal that Hendrix was with. Yes. Um, she basically, it seems like she took the time to clean up the house and and hide things and get things in order before she ever even called the cops I, and the, uh, the paramedics and you know granted jimmy might he might have been dead for two three hours who knows you know but you know i can understand odd. when you're a friend of somebody and you're like you know when when did you find this out and when did you call the, like yeah like gary coleman's wife you know she took forever to actually make the call well yeah 
It's kind of crazy, man. I heard too that there was actually alcohol in his lungs, which raised questions as to whether or not there was alcohol forcefully poured down him. Very, very good, Voxy. (laughs) Very good. Or Uh, maybe that night he's like, look, tonight I'm going to breathe some alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe his bathtub was full of it and he just just slipped down. I don't know. Uh, You know, maybe there was like, I don't know, porn and drugs everywhere and she had to clean up. Well, uh, (laughs) I did some digging around and I found some pretty interesting stuff. I've always been under the, you know, just the doctor, the coroner's note or whatever was that he died of asphyxiation on his own, you know, vomit. And that was kind of basically end of story. That was the deal. What I found out was the doctor who attempted to uh, resuscitate Hendrix the night that he died said it was plausible. This was in his report, plausible that Hendrix was murdered. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people uh, that never really came out. You mean like Kurt Cobain, maybe? I did read that. Yeah, and former physician John Bannister says the medical evidence surrounding Hendrick's death is consistent with claims made in a book that came out later that alleged the rock legend was killed on orders from his manager. <laughs> One of the most scary music uh, management individuals who's ever been in the, the business uh, to this day. Period. Yeah, Mike Jeffries. Jeffries, yeah. Uh, he hired... They, they Okay, uh, one of the roadies who's... Um, he wrote a book, and he claims that Jeffrey hired a gang to break into the to Hendrix hotel room, force sleeping pills and wine down his throat, and uh, says that the the scheme was done in order to to basically kill Hendrix and cash in on a two million dollar life insurance life insurance policy he took out on him. The other thing that's interesting too, that you made reference to the girlfriend that was in there, they say that. Um, the, his girlfriend, whose name was Monica Daneman, yep, was with him, of course, the night he died. And they think she saw it all, that she witnessed it, but she never revealed anything. And com- she committed suicide in 96. And then Jeffrey, the guy who made the claims about the insurance, died in a plane crash in 73. He might not still be alive, but he was alive after that. That's my opinion. He he took actually a lot of a lot of he had a lot of money from other bands that uh, you know he had been uh, associated with as well. He was he was a shrewd, evil businessman. Right. They say that the amount of wine that uh, Hendrix had, it was okay. The account is that it was extraordinary. Not only was it saturated right through his hair, his shirt, and his lungs, and his stomach, they were all full of wine. Uh, the account from Bannister said uh, that there was so much, he had never seen so much wine. They put a, like a suck, you know, a, a hose to suck it out. And they had to put it in down his trachea, entrance to his lungs, and the whole back of his throat to just pull this stuff out. Who can drink that much? Well, maybe I mean, Jimmy. No, I don't know. I mean, that goes to show, I mean, yes, you, there's a lot of people who can drink that much, but. I think the bottom line was when they're going, okay, well, this person died. Right. Um, and they had all this in their system. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. And when there's that much, it seems like there would have been a point. It seems to me most people, you get to a point where you're either passing out or puking before you can even get that much in and your how system. And how does a manager get a $2 million life insurance policy on his artist? When you're Mr. Jeffries. Jeez. Like I tell you, man, he's, he's, he is a legendary in the, the old music biz as uh, you know one of the biggest... You know he, he helped some guys get to where they're at, but he took a pound of flesh. Yeah, well, did you know that Hendrix was also in the military? I did. He was a uh, he was a paratrooper, dude. Nah, the screaming, yeah, the screaming eagles, hundred and first airborne, one hundred and one baby division. And you know what? He uh, he was very interesting. Uh, he was uh, at one at, at at a certain level. You know, he was a fairly anti-war guy, but he he also felt uh, uh, that what was going on in Vietnam wasn't actually all that bad. Right. Uh, surprisingly, he's you know uh, it caused quite a scene amongst his uh, you know his friends in the music scene. Um, and he wait, he waited it all with, uh, Hey, you know, I've been in the service and, uh, you know, I'm, I look at it a little differently. You know, when, if these, uh, if these communists come swooping down, you know, down uh, and take out all of Vietnam, what's going to be next? And that was a valid, you know, that was a valid point. You know, I might not agree with it, but it wasn't, it's not like, 
sounds like some warmonger, yeah. you know? I mean, because we know, I mean, we know the dude here's, was not about that. Here's another uh, real quick uh, Hendrix trivia. And, you know, we all I, we all miss Hendrix. I, I miss Jimi Hendrix. I lis- listen to him still all the time. He's ver- been a great influence on, on me and everybody else. At the time of his death, he was planning to record with what jazz great? Miles Davis. Bing! You're welcome. We, we need the bell over here. Man. I know, dude. So, all right. Uh, so, Hendrix died this day. That's, you know, we're the Northwest Convergence Zone. It is all, it's all about the Northwest, and um, we miss A sigh him. of silence. Yeah, we missed Jim. Hey, there's a great band, The Diving Bell, yeah. and they are on a very, very cool record label, Finn Records. And uh, Out of we're Bat- gonna, Ballard, Washington. Yeah, we're going to talk to both of them. But first, the diving bell stopped in, and they did a little live set and stuff. And so we had a chat with them. We're going to get to know them first, and then a little bit later, we'll talk to the Fan Records yes. and all you all you cats that are in bands and stuff. You want to listen up? There's some very good information in this. But first, here's the diving bell. Yeah. One of the great uh, bands on the Finn label, and we've been talking about the Finn label for the last couple of weeks, based in Ballard, very, very cool label that we've become hip to, uh, The Diving Bell. And that's the, the song right there is Shooting Star Falling, and they are our guests today. They're in the studio right here. Welcome, guys. It's good to have you. Good to be here. You guys, uh, <laughs> a couple of you especially, Christian and Andy, are some veterans of the Northwest uh, music arena so to speak <laughs> guys were in sister yeah, psychic so. yeah uh yeah. i used to see sister psychic go see them when i was you know like in the 90s when i was living in west seattle and uh when i was when doing had hair <laughs> when i had I, I still had a couple of strands they were comb, combed over <laughs> um sister psychic was a was a very was a fantastic band and it's nice to see that you guys have continued forward this new project this project you have the diving bell uh, we really uh, here on NWCZ Radio like the music that you sent us. Thanks. Um, tell us about uh, before we go into the you know the mod- this this entity the diving bell. Tell us about your experience in uh, Sister Psychic and in Seattle during that time. What what do you remember about uh, those days? Uh, signing the breasts and uh, <laughs> yes. cashing the checks and uh, being a rock star. There were, there were checks to be cashed back there then? Was, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was an experience I will never forget, and I'm certainly grateful that I had the opportunity to make some records and to uh, play some pretty great music and travel around the U.S. a little bit. and um, Sign boobs. And to be alive to tell about it. <laughs> what were uh, what, what any uh, any particular shows come to mind from back in the day that stick out as uh, like uh, that? That was an epic moment. I think epic was the W E N Z N Fest in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. 
And yeah, was that was... 10,000 people and... Wow. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, it was pretty scary. And when we launched into our third song, the radio song, the place went, you know, absolutely apeshit. And uh, it felt great, you know, to... Yeah, for that those was of our you, biggest show. <laughs> for those of you who don't remember Sister Psyche, go Google it up, uh, check it out. Uh, fantastic band. And now here we are in in uh, in 2011, and we have the Diving Bell. Tell us about the Diving Bell. Uh, tell us about your new group and um, what what you guys have going on. Uh, well, I think um, you know the 90s came to an end, and uh, you know Christian and I kind of parted ways, and to uh, you know, Chris got married and had some children, and so I went on to uh, continue with uh, a band called the Lawnmowers, and uh, we had some great times there. And then um, I guess we kind of we worked on the same street in Seattle and bumped into each other one day at the intersection and said, hey, "What are you doing? You know, how are you? Well, I'm great. Well, <laughs> how are the kids? Oh, they're all grown up. And uh, well, you want to make some music again? Yeah, sure. Let's." let's figure it out and so we went to the studio and uh we were just messing around and then messing around turned into like wow that's kind of cool and wow that's kind of cool turned into a, a band name and some other great things and let's so, talk about the band name the diving mm, bell are you guys mm-hmm. all divers uh no i i came up with the name <clears throat> uh for uh, for a, a couple of different reasons um one, I sort of consider the diving bell as a voyeur, if you will, onto another world, mm-hmm. you know, underwater. Um, and we are from Seattle and kind of sort of cool. Underwater. There's a lot of water in there's, Seattle. There's a lot of water in Seattle. <laughs> a lot of divers in Seattle. And um, I don't know, it's heavy. It sinks to the bottom, <laughs> not unlike ourselves. Uh, what else? Uh, I'm a fan of Roman Flansky. Uh, <laughs> whoa. Yeah. Look out. Um, so, you know, a multitude of reasons that's, and it just seemed to kind of all make sense that we would, you know, agree to the name. I don't know. And we were shooting out names and Chris said, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. And it's like, all right, we're the diving bell. So cool. Here we are. Right. Well, uh, the diving bell, you guys just came off of a show on Friday at the Skylark in West Seattle, which is a very cool venue. And, mm-hmm. uh, everybody, you have a chance to go and see them on Friday, September 30th at the Blue Moon Tavern, and uh, that's always a very cool joint to hang out at. Peanut shells. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very cool joint. Um, I was re- I'm looking at your Facebook, and I was looking at how you describe your music, and it says you run the gamut from stream rock to avant-garde to American blues and uh, go into some other things. How, what is stream rock? I'm not familiar with this term. I believe it, it's a form of a writing formula for, you know, writing in the, in the stream of consciousness of just mm-hmm. kind of going with uh, what hits you initially and keeping it. No editing, no second guessing or, you know, there's obviously some of that, but sort of to write uh, one big, long. <clears throat> Get out of your own way and let your mo- your subconscious onto the paper. Beautiful. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. You're not like constrained by the iambic pentameter and <laughs> and whatnot. Chord first progression. That's uh, Josh's chorus. department yeah. is the iambic pentameter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now Josh, uh, we we actually had Josh in here before in his uh, previous band, and so it was very cool to see Josh walk up. How are you doing, Josh? Good. Thanks. Good. Yeah. Uh, Eli Porter was the band that he was in. I was before. wondering why this guy looked familiar. Yep. Uh, that was over at our temporary studio yep. at Double D's house, yep. and. Uh, Eli Porter was the band that he was in that uh, they eventually broke up and so forth. So it's nice that you found a home. It's very cool music. What? How do you see that? Because Eli Porter was a much different band. In yeah, in the um, way in the presentation, it was a much heavier band. You had some rap uh, thrown in there and so forth. Uh, as a as a drummer and a musician, um, how have you how have you found the diving bell to? Um, does it stretch you? Is it? Is this more your style? I mean, what? How's it for you being now in this band as opposed to Eli Porter? Well, I actually joined both at the same time oh. about a year ago. Um, Double dipping. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Drummers. How many bands are you <laughs> in? <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. 
Because uh, drummers are always in need. I'm sure you're busy. Four. Four. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so we might see him in here. Over we'll probably see him in a few more times. He's in four <laughs> bands. <laughs> see you next week, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so hey, let's go into another song. Um, this is a song that, I'm, that I really enjoy listening to, and I'm curious about the story behind it. We are going to find out in a moment. But I'm not going to tell you what it is because we're going to play Guess That Song, you guys. Okay, so here's song number two. From the diving bell. Right, that's song number two. Now, everybody at home, play along with us. We are going to go through the panel here and uh, guess the name of that song. Gimmer, what's throw it out? Uh, Seattle City Council Blues. Voxy. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, Cross-dressing friends is what I heard over and over. Was there get down in there? I I couldn't what even. What was your pinpoint. first guess? What's your guess? Get down. Oh, you had it. Cross-dressing friends. It is cross-dressing friends. Very, very good. Uh, the diving bell doing cross-dressing friends. That's another song that we play here the on NWCZ Radio. Messed us up the last couple times where it's just been totally <laughs> off the wall. So now I'm just afraid to even guess. You're scared. I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, so tell us the story behind. Uh, I mean, you guys obviously live. Uh, most of you live in Seattle, and so, and I know uh, your record label is located in Ballard. Um, what's the story behind the cross-dressing friends? Uh, well, uh, I, uh, took kind of a hiatus from Seattle and I had an opportunity to move down to Los Angeles and I did, and this was back, uh, I actually wrote this song about 10 years ago, but didn't really have a venue or a vehicle to, uh, record it with until now that I felt comfortable with the right kind of band that could handle the job. Anyway, the story behind it is that... <clears throat> I had a wonderful Spanish apartment that was at the intersection of uh, Silver Lake and Parkman in Los Angeles, California, and I shared an alley with uh, a bar called the Silver Lake Lounge. And every Sunday night, uh, right around happy hour, um, it would turn into this cross-dressing Latino (laughs) disco. Like South Beach or something. Yeah, kind of. And, you know, I would go down there uh, you know during happy hour because it was right around the corner and drinks were like two bucks and so i kind of got to meet some of these characters and and what's what's the deal here <laughs> and uh as i discovered that uh, probably more than half of these guys are straight and they just happen to like women's clothing and singing in front of other people <laughs> and so uh, uh as i uh you know, got to know some of these people that, you know, half of them are running the city of Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> so it really challenged your thinking. <laughs> exactly. And it's so, so I was sitting on my balcony on the second floor and I would kind of wrote this song for 
those guys down, you know, down at the Silver Lake Lounge, you know, on sunny nights. They like to get liquored up and tear it up and and have a freaky cool time. Go back, and <laughs> and go hence, back to their straight jobs the right, next day, right? Exactly. Go back to running the city. Go back to the wife and kids and uh, running ci- running politics. And city stuff. Hall and you everywhere wow so that's amazing uh (laughs) it is actually because a lot you know i mean we all have our own uh viewpoints about what what that's about and when you see it it, as you know it's just a straight guy it can freak you out but uh, a little bit (laughs) uh no it didn't freak me out at all i mean these are just genuinely cool people and they're intelligent and compassionate and they just happen to like to do what they do and crank up the share that's cool they had the (laughs) (laughs) do you believe yeah now it's madonna (laughs) uh so okay i want to i want to talk to you about being on um a, a record label because a lot of bands um, that we have through here and we ask them, you know, what are your goals and so forth as a band? And, and many of them will say, oh, to be on, you know, to, to get uh, be on a label or to get a record, a deal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to know that, you know, the the head honcho from Fan Records is actually in your band. So you had sort of an end there. <laughs> but what tell us what what from your perspective, being on a label as a band, what that does to help you and what it does for you. Uh, it's total DIY do it yourself and um, it's small and uh, I think uh, Chris and I just basically wanted a vehicle to put out some of our back catalog um, that was just kind of sitting there and we thought the songs were pretty great and this deserves a little bit more exposure and we really didn't want to go through the nausea of like you know, courting, right, courting <laughs> other labels and, you know, that kind of thing. And we're a little up in our years, any, myself anyway. So we just decided, hey, let's just put this stuff out ourselves. And hence, you know, we came up with a little name and and uh, it seems to be, you know, doing quite well. Actually, we had some pretty great news the other day. And um, so I'm pretty excited to be able to put out these the vinyl and uh, the back catalog of a lot of stuff, and so I couldn't be, I couldn't be more grateful to be on a label. So what's the pretty great news? Did I miss that? Did we go over that? No, it's, it's coming up in the second. Yeah, we're gonna oh. talk. Second half. We're gonna talk to the head honcho. Right, the head honcho of Finn Records. Finn Records. Stick around for the second half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, now uh, Dan, you haven't said much, and I, uh, we, I want to hear from Dan. Um, tell us from your perspective. When you guys are playing shows, when you uh, because you guys you know you recording and practicing and all that's a whole you know yeah. diff- you guys are by yourselves or you're in your studio or whatever. Then you go out and you uh, you hit the public like you're going to be on Friday, September 30th at the Blue Moon uh, Tavern. With the next chance everybody gets to see you guys. Yeah. Um, what 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 do you feel this band brings? What's the what approach do you guys take when you hit the stage? Um, cause the, the music is very, uh, it, 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 the music takes care of a lot of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's asking people to pay attention is what it is. What, how are you finding the audience response? Uh, we got a really good response from, you know, going out there and playing people are really digging it. Our Facebook, Facebook page jumps a few numbers every time we play. And, uh, yeah, we've gotten a really great response. And we, you know, we don't have flash pots or anything. <laughs> and, uh, uh, do you no, find Seattle? Because we're the diving bell. It wouldn't work. Right. You have to have a big bell up there. Yeah. Uh, do you find Seattle to be uh, an accommodating place to play? I assume that's where you mostly play. Uh, is it accommodating for, for you guys, or is, is it a tough market? It's a tough market, but, um, you know, it gets better and better the more shows we play. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been up to Everett, and we've been down to Tacoma, and uh, you know we're going we're, to Portland. Because you guys yeah. did what? What'd you say? Seventeen shows this summer? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, are you doing a lot of festivals, or is this a lot of uh, shows that you're putting together yourselves? How's that working for you guys? Well, we played we played Tacoma three times. We had uh, a couple of outdoor festivals in Seattle, and we had um, and, and then sort of a, a pretty good run of the bars in the Seattle area and up to Everett. Uh, good, a good mix of shows. Um, there's more venues now than there ever were in the 90s, mm-hmm. but because of the economy, a lot of times you're in on a Friday or a Saturday night with a pretty good bill, and, and you see that you know it's just still not packing out the way it used to. So it's that's very true. Yeah. Spread thin. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. Uh, and, and there's a two, yeah, it's a two-edged sword. There's m- way more clubs 
So there's a lot more people playing. And if you have less people going out, you know, if you can get, if you can get a hundred people, that's a, that's a successful night. <laughs> yeah. Know? I think that's a fair statement and, and you have to be patient, you know? You yeah. Really I do. think things are going to turn around when the economy gets better and people have some, you know, loose change in their pocket or they're going to be out more. So I think a lot of band, a lot of the young bands that are coming up, these are really getting discouraged and it's, they just need to push through that. Don't you think? Yeah. You can't quit just because it's tough. I mean, it's tough. I don't care what you want to do. You want to be a barista. It's tough right now. So you know, <laughs> yeah. it's really tough to be in a band. It's harder than ever. It's easier to make music than ever, but it's really hard to be in a band right now. I think. And Very you know, true. we consciously chose to start over with the name, you know, we could have been sister psychic and putting out our fourth and fifth and whatever record, but it, I don't think it would be true to our audience, true to ourselves, if we were to continue on. And the trilogy is enough. The three records is enough. And so we're a brand new band. I mean, even though we've been in the biz for 20 years, we're brand new on the scene. Do you ever guys uh, talk about being in the biz and so forth? (laughs) Uh, You know, that's a long time to be... Um, around because <laughs> yeah, most bands yeah. only last about you know a year and a half maybe and they're yep. they're out yep. the door. Um, that's a, yeah, it's a lot of gravel. Yeah, that's a that's a long time. What because we do have a lot of bands that listen to our podcast. Um, what words of wisdom do you have for them, especially dealing with the business end? Because everybody, I mean, there are some great sounding bands out there uh-huh. who get really. I, I talk to them; they get really discouraged about you know the club owners uh, shopping themselves. Uh, trying to you know get their name out and so forth, and it's a grind. For you guys, what's uh, you know what are what was the grind for you guys, and and what kind of words of wisdom do you have? Well, I think the first thing is be clear about why you're playing music. If the only reason you're playing music is to make it big, you're in the wrong <laughs> business. Okay. If hope, you don't hope. if you don't love it so much, I mean, I would you know. You know, you have to be prepared to pay to play. That's why you're, that's, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to play music. We're very lucky to live in in the Northwest is a place where people actually pay their hard earned money to go see a band they've never heard play their original songs. That is not what happens in Los Angeles. That is not what happens in other places. In the rest of the U.S. And so you should be grateful that even 10 people show up to see you because they have a choice every night. They could just be playing games or doing something else. And that's that's number one. And then number two, you better be patient because right now everybody and their mother's going, hey, over here. So w- why are you so? W- what's the compelling reason for yeah. somebody to think you're great? You know, it, it, I think it's harder than ever to do it. So you just be prepared. If if that's where your expectations are, you're going to be fine. If you're living in, well, why don't we have a deal by now? It's been <laughs> we've played three shows. <laughs> My mom bought eight records. You know, <laughs> are, you know, that's just not how it goes. You know, right. you really got to be tough stuff. And uh, I think if you got something going on, you got to stay together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Don't and, quit. And, you know, keep going. Keep going. Don't quit. Put out another record or another something and keep playing shows and stay together. Yeah. Uh, speaking of another single, uh, October 11th, you guys have a brand new single coming out on mm-hmm. the Finn label. What, what is what's what, what do we have coming up on the 11th? Uh, well, on the 11th is going to be our second vinyl release. It's limited edition, 500 copies. And uh, I believe side A is uh, China My China, written by Christian, and Cross-Dressing Friends, written by myself. And we couldn't be more excited, you know, to put this out. And, uh, you know, I'm super happy about it, man. Just Very cool here. that they're releasing vinyl. That's yeah. one thing. We're going to talk to uh, the fan label. Uh, we're going to talk about the whole vinyl thing because I think that's super cool. Making its come. Uh, everybody, uh, Friday, September 30th, the Blue Moon Tavern. You can go see the diving bell. Uh, real quick, where can people pick up um, your uh, vinyl or your CD or wherever? Where can they get that and, and to so they can have their own copies? You can get it uh, off the Finn Records website. Uh, you can also get a digital download there. You can get it at uh, six stores in Portland, a couple of stores in Olympia, and very soon in uh, in uh, stores in Tacoma and Seattle. Uh, in Seattle, it's right now just at Easy Street, but it's about to be in several other stores. And why wouldn't so. it be? That's the best record store known to mankind. <laughs> yeah. uh, and speaking of, uh, you're talking about on this uh, this upcoming vinyl is the song China My China, which I think is a, is a fantastic song. And you guys are going to do it live for us right here in the studio. I want to thank you guys so much for coming in today. Uh, everybody, the diving bell. Thank you, guys. Yay. Thank you very much. Thanks to NWCZ.
Hi, my name's Andy, and uh, we're the Diving Bell. And this is Mr. Dan Leary on the bass guitar. And Mr. Kristen Folgem on the lead acoustic guitar. Glad to be here on Earth. And Mr. Josh over here on the drums, the tambourine drums. And uh, this first song is called China, My China. A one, two, three, and... To the yellow sea, an endless river valley winds its way to me. Towering above me, these stacks of stones, a green mist enshrouded. Well, I know this must be home. China, my China. All the way with you So smooth and heartless So cold and ruthless Cherry blossom snow Makes a big parade A forbidden city Welcome to Vox Talks, a Northwest Convergent Zone short, where they give me a microphone and they just let me ramble on. Featured every Sunday sometime between 9 and 11 p.m. on MWCZRadio.com. And if you don't like it, well, I suggest you go listen to the podcast. And you know what? You can just fast forward. Hey, 
Hey everybody, this is Voxy. I want to thank you for listening to the very first episode of Vox Talks. And I'll just warn you now that all this is, is me talking about what I'm thinking or feeling right now in the moment. So take it or leave it. This is what I've been thinking about lately. I've noticed that there's a lot of people who have been feeling angry and spiteful, people lashing out, people talking poorly of others, people just getting caught up in the drama of day-to-day life, which is understandable. Right now, it's a crazy, scary, unpredictable, and heartbreaking world we're living in. I know this, fear and anger will not make it better. I believe that we do create our own reality and that each one of us holds our own special light. I think now more than ever is the time to put our focus and energy into positive thoughts and actions because ultimately, this is what helps them grow. There's no object, no action, nothing out there that didn't first start with a thought. This is likewise with negativity, people. Really monitor what thoughts and actions you are putting your time and energy into. Start seeing what is good around you. And if you don't think there is any, then create some. Figure out a way. Focus on that. Be the best you that you can be. Believe with all your heart, your mind, and your deeds that the world can be a better place. Know your power. And you will be helping to create. All right, everybody, listen up. Uh, I know a lot of you cats out there, especially those of you who are in bands and, uh, and you know, work in the scene, always talking about wanting to be on a record label, always want, talking about wanting to get signed and so forth. Well, uh, I think things are changing as far as uh, labels and, and, and bands being on labels and so forth. And one of the labels that have sparked an interest here on NWCZ Radio is Finn Records out of Ballard. And uh, the head honcho, the big man, the big cheese, the guy who's in charge, Christian Fulgham, is in with us today. And we're going to talk about uh, what it is, what a label does these days, uh, what Finn Records does. They have a great website, FinnRecords.com, which I think you should all go to. And you can just click uh, the link off of our homepage on uh, on our website page will take you right there. Christian, welcome. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. Uh, I, you know what? I was excited when I found Finn Records because you guys are doing. Uh, we have Maurice the Fish Records here in Tacoma, and it seems like you guys have a similar concept to them. And I think a lot of labels are kind of going this way. Um, tell us a little bit about your um, your your drive and your goal. Uh, starting Finn, and uh, then we'll get into who your artists are and, ha- and how you work with them. But first, just tell us about Finn Records, your concept of it, and what you guys do. Well, for about 16 or 17 years now, I've owned a recording studio in Seattle called uh, Jupiter uh, with my partner, Martin Favier. And um, uh, we've done really well. And one of the things that ke- kept coming up was young bands would come through there, and they'd be frustrated with their label, or they'd have their own label, and it would be you know, hitting a wall of some kind. And um, I thought, well, you know, maybe we should put a little label together. And there's a bunch of back catalog for the the Sister Psychic. We thought, let's put that out. And it it just has sort of ballooned from that. But where the idea came from was, you know, when I was a 15-year-old teenager in Seattle, I really wanted to record stuff. But all that was available in those days was pretty much uh, studios that did advertising for the Bon Marche all day. And so you'd have the third string engineer at night and you'd make an expensive, expensive demo recording, probably cost you the equivalent of a good used car. And then unless you knew somebody, you know, in the music biz, you had no one to send it to. The great news now, of course, is that kids can record on a computer in the afternoon and put it up on the air at night, but or on the internet at night. The problem is it's a digital drop, in a, or it's a drop of water in a digital ocean. You oh, know? Yeah. It's like, well, who's going to buy it? Again, you know, the whole problem is your mom's going to buy eight copies and then you're done, you know, and there are 14 <laughs> fans. My mom bought 12. Oh, <laughs> well, you've got a very, very indulgent, rich. indulgent mother there. Um, um, ask her. No idea. <laughs> but, but I think the important thing is that bands still have to wrestle with, well, how do I get people to actually hear what I'm doing? And, the, and I think the irony is that when the, the, in the dinosaur days, when the major labels were at, at their peak, they served as sort of tastemakers. And when they did their job well, as in cases of bands like, say, the Beatles, mm-hmm. uh, they did us all a favor by selecting from among thousands of bands somebody they thought would work, and we all got to enjoy the benefits of that. But the more corrupt that system became over time, uh, uh, the less it became a, a good representation of what people wanted to listen to. 
So my thing was, if you go and start with digital right now, you're going to wind up with um, a situation in which it's very difficult to get anyone to pay attention to it. And you're, and you're either going to have to give it away, but even that's hard. So my thinking was, instead of the ubiquity of digital, let's start with the scarcity of vinyl. Let's do 500 hand-numbered, beautifully made, high-quality pieces. And if we get some traction with that, then we can go to digital. And there'll be a reason to go to digital. Labels need to get to slow down, not speed up, and think about how to really promote the bands that you have on the label and then stick with those bands longer than 15 minutes. You know, oh, it didn't sell? Okay, we're done. We did <laughs> right. one record. Yeah. Shelve them. Well, yeah. you talk about, uh, he's not kidding, because uh, Christian just brought into us uh, several of their vinyl uh, and they are beautifully pa- packaged. Very, very cool. It's it's nice that people are going back to vinyl. And we've had several bands bring in, you know, their limited edition vinyl and hand it off to us. And um, because, yeah, you're right. It's become a digital overload, I think, on, um, you know, Reverb Nation and Facebook and all these places where it's just like getting posted like crazy. And um, it does become overwhelming. It's like, you haven't seen it yet? And it's like, I, there's what? How many get released a day? It's like, I can't keep up with it. So the simpl- this, that simplicity factor, I think, is very cool. I want to read a, a statement that you have on your homepage. Uh, it's, it, I think it's kind of your mission. It says, most record labels specialize in a specific kind of music or certain types of artists, not Finn Records. If we like it, we put it out there for the world to hear. And you guys have a, a very diverse group on your label. Tell us about um, who you guys represent and, uh, you know, what, what, you're, what you're looking to branch out into. Well, personally, I'm a musical omnivore. I don't just like one kind of music. I understand why some labels say we're just going to do Orange County surf punk. That's mm-hmm. cool. That means that the people who love that will gravitate to your label. But what I'm into is everything. So if it's good, I want to put it out. And we just kind of put the word out there in a very low-key way and very quickly attracted a variety of stuff. So we've got the Seacats, who are the super young band from uh, Kelso, or kind of Weezer-esque. And we have um, Whiting Tennis, who's a, a nationally known uh, visual artist who does some incredible downtown New York-style acoustic stuff, very like Lou Reed or television. And we have... Um, uh, Stag from Seattle, who's kind of doing a cheap trick kind of a vibe, kind of a who vibe, uh, kind of power pop. We have, um, uh, let's see, we have a young guy named Justin Pinder, who is um, a hip hopper. I never expected to do hip hop, but somebody brought me some hip hop that I just love. And um, we have a guy named David Hahn, who's an avant garde composer, who's done some really interesting stuff. And uh, we have a, a, a band from Brooklyn called Long Distance Poison that's like Tangerine Dream. They do nice. these long, long 20-minute electronic <laughs> pieces with mm-hmm. matching visuals. Wow. Just crazy cool stuff. So I, I just think there's so much good music out there. Part of our job is to sort of curate a collection of music and say to people, because that goes back to what labels used to do. When Atlantic Records was a little label, mm-hmm. it was curating the R&B and soul of its day, and people knew that Atlantic meant something. It was trustworthy if you like something they've put out, you could probably like something else they put out. So being trustworthy, both with talent and with um, uh, the public, is really what being a label is about as a curator, being being clear about who you are and what you're doing. And then quality, really working on great sounding recordings, great sounding vinyl. I'm not anti-digital, but not putting the digital stuff first. Take some time to develop the sound of the band and and do the, that sort of A&R work that labels just don't do anymore. I think that's really important for small labels to do. One other band that you have on your label that you didn't mention, The Diving Bell. Yes. <laughs> Which is ding, your band. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Right. Bing. We like those guys. Uh, how, I'm curious, in a given, any, any given week, how many bands are approaching you or how much stuff is being sent to you from bands uh, wanting to be on a label, and what's the mis- What's the most common misconception that bands have in approaching you? I think when when I was a young musician, I thought it was all you have to do is get signed, and then some. You know, it'll be like going to Oz for Dorothy. You know, everything, <laughs> all the problems will be resolved and will be swept away in a lim- black limousine, and you know, and that's even in the days when major labels had that kind of power to really make something happen. That wasn't true. Um, uh, you know, think about Johnny Cash selling records out of the back of his car. Being on a record label, if 
is one one element in your in your support system for a good band you know a label that really believes in your music and and trusts you guys artistically that wants to give you as much artistic freedom as possible um a label that um is always looking out for an opportunity for you hey let's get you on a tour with these guys or we've got a friend at this tv show maybe we can get you on there at the same time they're working with your management and if your management is you that's fine but i think one of the one of the illusions that's being sold to young bands right now is that hey you can record it on a computer you can put it out yourself you don't need anybody and up to a point that's okay but that's a little like being a sports team and the athletes just managing themselves and there's no coaching and no organization it is helpful to have people you trust who are a step back from what you're doing you can say you know actually that song that the lead singer hates that's actually your best song and I don't know why the lead singer hates the song but that happens a lot let's see if we can put that on the A side of a single instead of burying it in the backyard those you know those are the kinds of things that a label can do for you if they're really looking out for you do you get a lot of bands approaching you yeah it's gone it was a big front end of your question I'm sorry. It's going up really steeply at this point because people are starting to hear about the label. Um, uh, and my whole thing is most of my best recommendations, though, so far have just come from friends telling me about something. Mm-hmm. And um, we're we're already sort of well booked out into in the middle of next year in terms of what we have the ability to release and, and stay with our quality standards and really support each of those uh, artists in their different way. Well, every band thinks they have it. You know, all the ones that uh, are, are going to approach you, they, they really think that there's a reason they should be signed or be on a label or whatever. And if that may be the case, it may not. I don't know. But from your end, when you're from sitting at the, the head honcho desk and you're getting a, a, a package from a band, what is it that you feel that is a necessity to be in there and make them stand out? among all the other stuff that comes in that gets round filed. I, I, I really think that, that um, I'm, I'm a song guy. I go, I go back to, you know, it, I, I think if you play a record for a group of little kids, like five-year-olds, something like that, if it's a good song, those kids will start doing something right away. And I think that having a piece of music that's as compelling as, say, the front end of Stevie Wonder's Superstition or, uh, you know, the first Beatles song you ever heard, you know right away, wow, this is, it sounds different and it's really, it's grabbed me, you know, before anything else happens. So really thinking about your songs and how they're arranged, um, that's much less important than how something's recorded. I think right now there's a lot of obsession with recording quality and that's, that's great, but if it's not a good song and a good performance and a good arrangement, it, that is not going to be the difference. So I think songs still matter. You could have a great recording of a really shitty song. <laughs> yes, and, and there are <laughs> And there's there a ton of them. Of those. <laughs> I, I had, a, I had a, a guy send me a collection of, of really hot guitar playing the other day and I thought, mm-hmm. well, he needs to send this to a label that's into hot guitar playing, which just happened, I mean, I'm into guitar, but Right. I'm not into releasing uh, guitar playing. I'm into releasing songs, but I do think you have to really be honest with yourself and talk and 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 do things that are different. The other thing is just because some guy at a record label, whether that's me or I'm sorry, Ray, you know, it, from Maurice the Fish Records, right? <laughs> you know, we're just one set of ears, and we might not hear something. I mean, a lot of people passed on the Beatles before somebody finally you know gave them a shot, and um, I don't mean to keep harking back to them, but it's just a it's just a familiar reference point, but. Um, you should find a place where somebody's really genuinely in your corner. And if someone gives you some constructive feedback, you as an artist need to be secure enough to hear that if there's some value in it, at the same time, not be discouraged by it. Mm-hmm. Don't be discouraged. Nobody has the right to tell you not to be creative or what have you. You just have to, if you're at, but if you're asking for feedback, you need to be willing to hear it. You know, that's the thing. I have a question. Yep. You, you talked about how uh, you try and focus on the A and R part of it early on, more so than a lot of labels are doing nowadays. What what does that entail for you? Because I know just you have your own band, and that's a job, full time job in itself, right? Promoting and all that for your own band, and re- let alone your label having multiple bands. So, what's your process for that? Do you kind of have a format that you go for each band, or you? You mean in terms of for each band, what is the sort of the process for each? For for with your A and R stuff, with your promoting of them and that well, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean each band that's come to us is pretty has already usually got a master recording that's that's that doesn't need much work. It might need some sequencing or maybe it needs to be remixed a little bit. Sure. Uh, so we're not uh, only in a couple of cases have we done something from the ground up in terms of the recording. Secondly, they've got some kind of momentum. They're out playing live. 
Um, they are already generating some some uh, interest in the press or from uh, radio, that sort of thing. So they've they've got some momentum, and so we're there to add to that momentum. Um, uh, and I, I had I have had to explain to some of these artists, I can't be your manager. Sure. You know, that's not my <laughs> role. And but a lot of artists really could benefit from good management. The problem is finding somebody you can trust who won't, you know. Um, financially Good management yes. is the key word yeah. but you you know as an artist if if you're not capable of doing some of that stuff yourself you've really got to find someone you can trust and you and you again you've got to start build, building the team that's that consists of not just a label but also people who are helping you get bookings and helping you get the right kind of picture taken and all that other jazz that you know sure. is part of promoting yourself so uh, everybody, finrecords.com is the website. And before we go into the last question, we let you go. Um, tell everybody, if, if, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or, or band's interested, how would they do that? Uh, my email, my personal email is xian at finrecords.com. And, you know, it helps if you say, hi, I'd like to send you something. May I send you something? <laughs> is better than filling my inbox with MP3s. <laughs> So, but, but it, it, I, I think most people really appreciate a, a touch base first. Sure. And, sure. um, uh, you know, I opened everything, but like I say, we're already pretty well, uh, we're talking about releases now for next middle of next year. So, and like I said, Finn records, I, uh, after, right after I discovered you guys, I became big fans. I think it's very cool what you're doing. Uh, I like the way that you support the independent artists and you, um, you work to promote them. And, uh, I, I think, the the artists that you have on your label uh, is fantastic. It's 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 broad and it's varied, and that I appreciate. Just tell us real quick before uh, we have to wrap this up. What what is uh, what's the future hold? I know you can't look into crystal ball, but what are your goals and what are your aspirations for Finn Records moving into uh, the next you know few years? Well. You know, Finn didn't start out. I didn't start out to make a record label that was bigger than just releasing some back catalog for Sister Psychic, <laughs> but it took on legs of its own. And so I think we've hit up. We're somehow what we're doing is resonating in the community. Yes. And I just think it's about, like I said, trust and quality. And um, if we can adhere to that, and we can, uh, you know, sustain ourselves doing that, then that's what it's all about. I'm not really concerned with how big we are. I'm really concerned: do we make records that matter? And so let's do that. Perfect. Uh -huh. Didn't we, uh, wasn't there uh, like a, a special announcement of something possibly coming up? That, That's uh, what I was hearing we about. Did, yeah, we yeah. didn't touch on. In oh, I think what Andy was referring to is that um, in addition to the retail outlets, we have K Records in Olympia just picked up our whole catalog. Nice. And so that gives us a reach to about 10,000. They have about 10,000 people in their regular customer base. So that gives us some more reach. So I think that's what Andy was referring nice. to. Very, but very it's good. really great to have, that's a label I have a ton of respect for and has an incredible history. And um, I think that for them to respect what we're doing and get what we're doing, especially with the vinyl, feels like vindication. So. Yeah, I think for the independent labels, much like bands, it's all about networking, helping each other, and uh, just for, you know moving everything forward. And here on NWCZ Radio, like I said, we're fans of Finn Records. We are looking forward to playing your artist and hope you guys will uh, you know, stay in touch. And maybe we can have you back on sometime and we'll get your artist through here on our programs. And uh, Finn Records, everybody. FinnRecords.com. Christian, thanks so much for coming in. And, and absolute best of luck in the future with the record label. Thank you kindly. And NWCZ is unique and wonderful. And we want to be supporting that for the foreseeable future. That's just great that you guys are doing these things. Very hey, cool. I want to thank, thank Christian for coming in. Uh, did the double bill. You know, yep. we, we was in the band, the diving bell, and in uh, the head man. Executive status. Of Finn Records. And it was cool to have Hayden in here. Raymond Hayden from Maurice the Fish Records. So we got to introduce the fish and the fin. I thought they were going to like arm wrestle. I think they were going to fight over leadership by assault, which we're going to talk to you next hour. Those, those kids show some promise, man. Uh, and then in there, we heard from Voxy, a brand new feature from Voxy that we're going to start running uh you know as often as we can i promise not to be as preachy all the time foxy was preachy we were she was soul sister throwing it down letting you know soul how to walk sister. and live uh, i thought what you had to say was fantastic and i i have some things on my heart that i'd like to say to the especially the tacoma scene but I'm going to hold off on that because... Because um, we don't have time this he's still, we don't, he's still building up the fire. Well, <laughs> I could lay it out right now, but we don't have the time because we've got to keep moving on. And we have cool guests coming up in the next hour. Uh, young band, Leadership by Assault in the next hour. And then a very, very 
what I think is a very cool band, Palooka. Hell yeah. Who's going to be at the uh, Rocktoberfest. October 1st. October 1st at Hell's Kitchen. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening to hour number one. Hang on, because hour number two, we have uh, just as much cool stuff going on. So says Gimmer. Anywho. That's right. We're going to go out with some Hendrix. What is this song, man? This is your favorite one. Castles Made of Sand by the Jimi Hendrix Experience, my favorite Jimmy tune. And I hope you people dig it. Castles made of sand fall in the sea eventually. Little Indian brave, before he was ten, played war games in the woods with his Indian friends. And he built a dream that when he grew up, he would be a fearless warrior in the end. Many moons passed, the more the dream grew stronger till tomorrow he would sing his first war song and fight his first battle. Something went wrong, surprise attack, killed him in his sleep that night. And so castles made of sand melts into the sea.